following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Have your Bibles tonight. We are continuing the book of Ruth, chapter 2. We'll be covering uh, verses 17 through 23 this evening. Four specific things we're going to look at. Uh, nothing earth-shattering or mind-blowing. It's pretty cut and dry. Uh, what we'll be talking about this evening, staying close to your Redeemer. Uh, the book of Ruth, the first two chapters that we've covered so far, uh, we've looked at the, uh, the dark side of the story, if you want to call it that. As I mentioned during the introduction, the book of Ruth can be broken down into four Separate scenes, if you're looking at it as a play, it's, it's written as a narrative, it's telling a story. And so chapter one, uh, all the dark times occur, the land is in famine. Uh, we are in the book of the judges, the time frame of the judges, when we know that um, Israel is being punished with famine because of their disobedience. Uh, God would send a judge to deliver them. Uh, they'd be okay for a while, but they'd slip back into their sinful state. And during that time, uh, Naomi lost her husband and her two daughters-in-law. Naomi lost her two sons. We, we cover all that. We find out just how bleak this situation is uh, for Naomi and her two daughters-in-laws now. Uh, out on loan, unable to support themselves during the time of famine. Uh, they moved from the land of Moab back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem, the city of bread, the birthplace of our Savior. And so uh, it's kind of neat that this story unfolds in that setting, uh, the very place that uh, the Savior was born. We see uh, the line of his heritage beginning to develop with the introduction of Boaz as the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And so he arrives on the scene last week. Uh, he comes into the field where Ruth is gleaning. She is picking up the leftovers from the harvesters. And so we see this relationship beginning to form. So up until now, it's taken several years. Some take, say it could have taken as many as 10 years to get from the beginning of chapter 1 to where we are at this point uh, with everything unfolding and taking place. And so now we get to a point to where uh, this relationship, God is drawing them closer together. Just so happens that Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz, someone who is next of kin to Naomi. So the kinsman redeemer, it, it was set in uh, the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, several different things that we see happening in this story. We see the fact of the um, the gleaning uh, God said for the people, the foreigners who come into your land who can't have their own property, you, you intentionally leave some behind for them to show kindness to people that are outside of your country. We also see the kinsman redeemer coming in. If someone loses a way to continue on their heritage, uh, as in Naomi's situation and Ruth's situation, someone can step in and say, I will continue uh, the family for them. So that's where we're at. Uh, we see that Ruth is ending the day as we start this passage. 
she gets closer and closer to her kinsman redeemer. I don't think they understand the full implications of who Boaz is just yet. So the question that keeps coming to my mind, uh, Naomi tried to send Ruth back to her hometown. And Ruth said, no, I'm not going to have any part of that. She said, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. We're, your people are going to be my people. But most of all, she saw something in Naomi that made her say, your God is going to be my God. And so that's the question that keeps surfacing in my mind. You know, have we reached the point yet to where Ruth is really a child of God? What, would you say what, what point is her actual conversion? I think it, we see her salvation slowly developing uh, between chapter 2 and chapter 3 when Boaz actually takes her under his wing. And so we see that relationship really, really, really coming together uh, between the tail end of the passage that we covered last week and this week's passage. So the first thing that we see in the passage tonight in verse 17 is that when it comes to God's grace, we will always get more than we deserve. I think many of you know that. And I, I, I greet people like that a lot of times. They'll ask me, you know, hey, Brother Tracy, how are you doing today? And I'll always tell you, you know, I'm doing way better than I deserve. Because I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve the things that he has blessed me with. And so we see in verse 17 uh, that Ruth, she gleaned in the field until evening, all day long. And she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. So let's talk about that for just a minute. How much is this that she's actually gleaned? Boaz told the harvesters to intentionally leave more behind because he spotted Ruth in the field. There was something different about her. Didn't really recognize who she was, but she, she caught his attention. And so that makes me think, you know, what, what causes a certain person to capture the attention of God? What, what made God stop and look at me and say, you know, there, there's somebody that I really want to bless or somebody that I want to use. I see something in him that I can use to build my kingdom. And I want to just pour my grace out upon him. So when we think about God's grace, uh, we always consider mercy, justice, and grace. What, what, are, what is the difference between the three? Justice is getting exactly what you deserve. Justice means you're getting what you got coming to you. You did something wrong, and now justice is being poured out upon your life. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. In other words, instead of justice, God overlooks your wrongdoing. But what is grace? Grace is getting something that we don't deserve and we can't earn on our own. And so this, this ephah of barley, remember gleaning was a law that God gave the Israelites to provide enough only necessary for the survival and for the goodwill of foreigners. Who could not own land. How much did Ruth end up with at the end of the day due to the generosity of Boaz? So an ephah of barley, depending on the health of the crop, 
the exact interpretation, the weight of the measurements. It, it could be as much as a bushel. 30 to 50 pounds is what most of the commentators say that Ruth ended up with. 30 to 50 pounds for one single woman to carry back to. This is a whole day work. Uh, it wasn't just the stalk of barley that we're talking about. Uh, when she would glean it, she would take the heads and she would smack them together until the seeds fell out. The chaff was separated. We're talking about just the kernels of the barley all day long, harvesting, beating it out, winnowing the chaff, putting it in a basket, a, a bag or whatever it is, and then hauling 30 to 50 pounds at the end of the day. That was pretty good for a woman that couldn't own any property. Uh, pretty good for a woman who was basically begging for food and just gleaning the leftovers that someone had left behind. That's a picture of God's grace upon us, getting it way more than what we deserve, getting way more than what we could earn. And it's all because of the goodness of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 27, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. I'm sure Ruth would have never have imagined that at the end of the day she would have 30 to 50 pounds of something that her and her mother-in-law could feast off of. Not only that, if you remember last week, it says that Boaz brought her in at mealtime. Way more than she deserved. Something she couldn't earn on her own. And if you'll remember when she first started gleaning, the servants allowed her to dip water out of their water pots during the day so she could stay hydrated. And the Bible says that she was satisfied with what she received from him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John writes, he says, See what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. That word lavish, it just means, man, he just smeared it on excessively. He has piled it upon us. And that's what John says. Man, when you experience the goodness of God, you realize that you don't deserve what he's pouring out upon your life. We're not in it for the, for the income. We're in it for the outcome. We're not in it to receive that. But out of his mercy and out of his goodness, God blesses us way more than what we deserve. And when you spend time with the Redeemer, when you stay close with the Redeemer, you begin to realize just exactly how much He has blessed you with. And I've sat down and talked with many of you over a cup of coffee, and you just talk about how good God's been to you throughout your life, how much He's blessed you. Unexpected blessings, generosity of other people, kindness of other people, Times when you've been depressed, they've come along. And it's not just material things either. It's not just money that God has blessed you with. How important is it for the friendship of someone at just the right time for them to show kindness towards you? Hey, look, I know you're down. I know you're depressed. I know you're on hard times right now. Let me go through it with you. Let me help you out. That's what the goodness of God is all about. We don't deserve it. And here's the next thing that we see. When, stay, when you stay close to the Redeemer, in verse 18, it says, that when she took it up 
and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. When you've been satisfied with God's goodness, when you've been satisfied by understanding you don't deserve what God has poured out upon you. Point number two, when we experience God's grace, it's only natural to share what he's blessed us with. When we talk about soul winning, Brother Sam, his last sermon when he was here, he talked about sharing your faith. He talked about how it should become more natural. We should go. We should sow. Soul winning, sharing your faith. What, what is your definition of it? How, how could you put it into simple terms? D.L. Moody said it like this, and it goes along really well with what Ruth is doing here with her mother-in-law, Naomi. D.L. Moody says soul winning is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Amen? Isn't that good? And that's exactly what we've done. When we've experienced the mercy of God, when we've experienced the grace of God, we have received something that we don't deserve. God doesn't expect it to keep it all to ourselves. After Ruth had been satisfied, she shared with Naomi everything. She had abundantly more than she deserved. She had more than she could consume on her own. God had blessed her so much. Her Redeemer had blessed her so much that she knew, I can't keep this all to myself. This isn't just for me. This is for me to share with someone else. And so it was just natural for her to take this back. After her mother-in-law had expressed kindness to her and impressed upon her life, she said, I've got to return the favor now. So Ron Herod, many of you are familiar with his name. He's a, a, he used to pastor in New Orleans. Uh, he was a traveling evangelist. He came and preached uh, a Bible conference at New Hope in De Quincey, where we, our home church back in De Quincey. So Ron Herod used to tell a story about an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon. He had a, a very lucrative career here in the United States. He was successful, brilliant surgeon. Uh, God got a hold of his heart and, and saved him. Uh, he, he wanted to leave behind his practice and become a missionary to Africa. They found a tribe that had some eye issues. It seemed to be um, hereditary throughout their tribe. Several of the men had been stricken blind. And he said that there was one simple procedure that he could do, but heal them just like that. He said he performed his first surgery. Went to the African outback, had a little grass hut there, set up shop, set a place where he could perform this surgery. And the first person that he performed the surgery on, when he got through, he opened his eyes, he could see. And without saying a word, he hopped up off the table and headed out the door. No thanks to the doctor. No words said. No expression of joy or excitement. He just got up and left the hut. And the doctor said, well, you know. Is that what this is all about? No, no thanks, no gratitude. He was feeling a little bit depressed about the outcome of the situation. He started packing his bags. He said, you know what? If they're, if they're unappreciative about what I'm doing here, I, I'm just going to leave. I, I didn't expect this. By the time he could get his bags packed, he was getting ready to go. He hard to knock on the door of his hut. 
And he opened the door up, and when he opened the door up, he looked. There was a young man that he had performed the surgery on. He had a rope in one hand, and at the end of the rope was 12 other men who were blind. He was bringing them to this guy because the guy who was once blind could now. And he knew other men that were in the same shape as he was. And he knew that there was now hope for those men as well. So the mercy and grace and the healing that he experienced, he went out and found some more. As best as he could, he brought them back to the place where he regained his sight and could once again see. And so now here's Ruth. She's in a land, a foreign land. Doesn't know anybody, hasn't ever met anybody. She just knows, I'm hungry. My mother-in-law's hungry. We're going to starve to death if somebody doesn't do something. I have accidentally stumbled. We, we know it's not accidental. We know it's God's divine providence. I've, I've found my way into someone's field who has caught, I've caught their attention and they're pouring out their generosity on me. And I don't know why God has blessed me the way that he has. But now I'm in a place where I got all of this grain, this barley, something to eat. And I'm going to share it with my mother-in-law to make sure that she survives as well. Some of you here tonight, you, you never expected God to touch your life when he did. Some of you here tonight, you never expected God to pour out his mercy and his grace upon you the way that he has. Now it's your responsibility and your privilege to go out and share that with other people. Many of you are doing that. Many of you do make a regular practice of sharing your faith, blessing others with the blessings that God has given to you. Very, very generous church, and I appreciate all that you do. I appreciate the hard work you do, and we're starting to see the fruits of your labors now. We're starting to see God bless us. We're starting to see people move. And it's just natural that when we experience God's grace, that we share it with others who have never heard the good news of the gospel. So the next thing that we see, point number three, is that the results of spending time in the Savior's presence become obvious to others around us. Ruth comes in. Out of the fields, she's supposed to just be begging. Maybe she's expecting a small little handful of grain. We don't know what Naomi is expecting when Ruth returns. But it's easy to identify that she was in a place where someone is taking care of her. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? It kind of sounds to me like Naomi was worried about her because she had been gone all day long. She didn't check in. She didn't know where she was at. She knew she was in a dangerous place. She knew that she was vulnerable. Immediately, she wanted to know, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? And then I think she notices exactly how much barley she had, and it blows her away how much she's come home with. She talks very little about the Ruth uh, the work that Ruth did, she just asked her, where did you work at? And look at what she says. She recognizes everything that she's been blessed with. She said, blessed be the one 
who took notice of you. She said, someone has noticed you out in the field. You have captured someone's attention. And whoever it is is a very generous person. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, kind of a repetitious phrase here, blessed be he of the Lord, who is not forsaking his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Exceedingly abundantly, more than we can ask or think. And he is lavishing upon her not just one day's worth of gleaning. He said, as long as the harvest is going on, you go out and get what you need. You bring it in, we're going to leave some extra. So it became obvious to Naomi that she had been around someone who wants to take care of her, who wants to bless her, and wants to provide her with way more than she needs and she deserves and that she could earn any other way. And so as I think about that, I think about this. Do people recognize that you spend time with Jesus? Do people recognize that you spend time gleaning through his word and feasting on his word? Do people recognize the fact that you place more priority on your time alone with Jesus and soaking in the riches of his mercy and grace? Is it apparent? Is it obvious? I think about Moses on the mountain. When he came down, the glory of God was obvious to the people around him, so much so that he had to put a veil on his face. And I think about Peter, James, and John when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember what Peter said? I would have loved to have seen the look on Jesus' face. Let's let's go to that passage for just a moment. Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. Because I, I always look at these uh, situations and I try to play it out of my mind and see the expression. You, you really can't pick up the tone of anything that they say. You really can't pick up any facial expressions or body language as if you were there. But I always try to play it out in my mind and, and see if I can figure out maybe what was the look on Jesus' face when Peter said this. He, by now, he's used to Peter putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing at the right time. So it probably didn't catch him off guard. In uh, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared, to them talking with him. And notice it's only just a select few that get to go with Jesus. But they're getting to spend time with Jesus like no one else is able to. 
And something happens on that mountain that registers with them that we are in a special place at a special time. And we're experiencing something here that we would not experience anywhere else. And I think the same can be said about Ruth as well. Naomi recognizes the fact, hey, you were in the right field at the right time, owned by the right person. And now we are seeing the blessings of what you are able to bring home. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And I love what Peter said. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Duh. I mean, who wouldn't want to be there in a situation like that? I just have to think, did Jesus kind of look over at Peter and say, like, you know, what do you, what did you expect? Lord, it is good for us to be here. Think about that for just a moment. When you finish your quiet time, when you finish your daily devotional, nighttime, morning, whenever it may be, do you walk away from that and say, man, it was good for me to be here this morning. It was good for me to be here during this time. And I think Ruth and Naomi sit there together looking at all of this barley and they say, man, we don't deserve this. It was good for us to be here at this time. And the results of Ruth spending time in the field of her kinsman redeemer became obvious to others around her, especially to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Same thing happened in the book of Acts. Once again, Peter and John, uh, they were together. They were in trouble. They had been in prison. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The rulers, bring, uh, the religious rulers bring them in. They scourge them. They scorn them. They scold them for preaching the name of Jesus. And they get together and they say, look, they say, we, we recognize that these men have done something wrong. He said, but there's also something else that we recognize. So we recognize that they are uneducated and unlearned men. They also say this. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Do people marvel and recognize the fact that you spend quality time with Jesus in his word getting closer to the Lord, staying close, as close to your Redeemer as possible. I've been waiting a long time to say what I'm about to say. Uh, it's nothing bad, but I'm going to talk to the students for just a moment. Now, this is for everybody, but specifically for the students. At a young age, start now making it a habit of getting into God's Word each and every day. Make it a habit of praying as much as you possibly can because today's world is hectic. It doesn't get any easier. As a matter of fact, it becomes increasingly difficult when you get into college, when you get a career, a job, a family, whatever the case may be. So the time to develop that habit of spending quality time with Jesus is right now while you're young. These Sunday school books that we got, the Gospel Project, they're designed in a way to help you do that. 
There is no substitute for a daily dose of God's Word. No matter how little or how much it is, make it a point to make this. If you'll set this as your priority, everything else will fall into place. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Donald Whitney, in his book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines, he says this. He says, our culture conditions us to be comfortable with noise and crowds, not with silence and solitude, and to feel more at home in a mall than at a park. Something I've noticed is a trend. I, I use them all the time. A lot of you will come into my office and I got my earbuds in. I'm on the phone. Uh, a lot of times I'll listen to sermons and stuff like that. But I, I think our culture has been conditioned to always have some kind of noise going on. Man, you go up and down the streets right now where those parades are going on. What do you hear? Boom, 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 boom. There's just noise all around. And that's what we're conditioned to be used to. Something else to notice here about what's going on in our narrative. Naomi is not as nearly focused on the labors of Ruth as she is the generosity of Boaz. And if you'll notice that statement that she makes twice, blessed be the one who took notice. Blessed is be he who the Lord has not forsaken. As Naomi begins to fully comprehend the implication of the relationship that Ruth is beginning to establish with Boaz, it becomes obvious to Naomi that Ruth has experienced something that they could have never found anywhere else. They were in the right field at the right time. And the days that Ruth spends in the field of Boaz becomes obvious to Naomi that she's right where she needs to be. Is that how people view your relationship with Jesus and the overall implications that are produced from quality time with the Savior? It should be obvious. It should be very, very obvious that there's a change going on in your life. The stronger that relationship gets, and I, I made that statement this morning, and I've talked to people about the process of sanctification. Our lives should constantly be uh, be developing into something more that looks like Jesus. God loves you just the way you are. In this world, it, man, this world wants to mash you in a mold of what it thinks you should look like. It wants to make you look like everybody else in this world. But God says, I want to take you out of that mold, and I want to make you look like Jesus. I love you just the way you are. I can forgive you of any sin that you've ever committed. I can wash you whiter than snow. I love you just the way you are, and I'll accept you just the way you are, is what God says. He says, but I refuse to let you stay that way. I want to make you look just like Jesus. And the only way to do that is to spend quality time and stay close with the Redeemer. And here's a word that I've been using a lot, uh, point number four. It goes right along with what we just finished talking about, about those spiritual disciplines. Staying close to the Savior requires an extra level of intentionality. Staying close to the Savior requires an extra level of an intentionality. Spiritual disciplines are exactly what they say they are. They are a discipline. 
That's where we get the word disciple from. That's the whole point of being a disciple is that you are wanting to learn how to do something that you didn't know how to do before. You're wanting to develop a habit, a quality, a trait in your life that's going to make you more like Jesus. It's going to help you walk closer to your Redeemer than ever before. So I want you to note the change in the group that Ruth has instructions to stay with versus who Naomi directs her towards. Ruth the Moabitess, uh, he also said to me, uh, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. I don't know why Naomi changed that directive just a little bit. I have uh, some suspicions about it. But if you'll note the change in the group, Ruth has instructions to stay with versus who Naomi directs her towards. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. Naomi saying, be intentional about who you spend your time with. Don't hang around the young men. I think Naomi still had some trust issues. She recognized that Ruth is in a vulnerable state. She recognized that the young men could do something that would impact uh, their future and what they're doing there. She didn't want any harm to come to Ruth. She was still being protective of Ruth, and she knew to stay away from the guys, hang out with the girls, stay in Boaz's field, don't go in anybody else's field. He's offered you protection. He's offered you water. He's offered you He's giving you everything that you need right now, but I want you to be intentional about who you hang out with. Naomi's saying, girlfriend, don't you get him wrapped up in the wrong crowd. (laughs) Be careful of who you hang out with. Or perhaps she knows that there's something more for Ruth to gain here than just food. She recognizes the name Boaz. She knows what the law requires of those who are kin to her. She says, Ruth, if you'll stay close to this guy, he'll take care of you. Like-minded people, are you staying around like-minded people? You you must be intentional about the people you associate with. The people you spend time with must be intentional. That's what the church is here for. That's what the body of believers is here for, is to encourage one another, to be around like-minded people, to be around other people who have made it a purpose and a point to be in God's word. Be around other disciples, be around other Christ followers. Naomi says, don't don't hang out with the young men. That's probably not the right place for you to be right now. Stay with the young women and stay in Boaz's field. Second, I want you to note something is the length of the time. It doesn't really go into the specifics of it. In verse 23, it says, So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. It could be possibly six to seven weeks that passed from this time until the 
beginning of chapter 3 that we'll get into in a couple of weeks. So the amount of time you spend and dedicate toward the Savior must be intentional as well. You may start off with only 15 or 20 minutes in your quiet time. You say, man, that was good. i got to have some more of that. You know what? I'm going to set my clock just a little bit earlier in the morning. I know some of you, you don't, don't like to hear that. <laughs> some of you aren't early birds. Some of you are. Some of you like your, your sleep time. Some of you function better later at night than you do early in the morning. Some of you don't function at all early in the morning. <laughs> I don't function at all late at night. <laughs> when the sun goes down and I get my supper in my belly, it lights out for me. I'll usually take me a little nap and wake up, but I don't think straight. I don't work too well. I do not function well at night. But whatever your time of the day is that you intentionally spend time with the Lord, you're going to see that the more you get out of it, the more you feast on it, the more satisfied you are with that good quality time, you want more of it. You crave more of it. You start seeing the benefits of it. It makes you a stronger disciple. It makes you a stronger Christ follower. Man, that's that's the time I look forward to in the mornings. I got I got a little routine going on now. Things are kind of settled down to where I got a little routine going. I get up, start the coffee, let the dogs out, let the dogs back in, get my little blanket out, cover up my feet, get warm, get my Bible, and I settle in for a good hour, hour and a half sometimes. I, I don't get sleepy. I'm excited. I look forward to that time. I get a lot of sermon material, but that's the time when there's no other noise going on in the house. Phone's not ringing. Nobody texts me early in the morning that time because you're, you're all still sleeping. <laughs> Most of the time, anyway. I know what time the phone calls start coming in. I know what time the text messages start coming in, but I, I don't check emails. I, I, don't, I don't do all, any of that until my quiet time's over with. I just get into God's Word. I've got a, a, a pencil, a pen. i got my highlighter. i got my notebook. That's my quality time, and I look forward to feasting on that. I'm very, very intentional about protecting that time and setting enough time to get my day. If my day doesn't start like that, it's not going to go well. <laughs> it's not going to go well me. It's not going to go well for some other people, too. But I like my quiet time. I'm intentional about it. So that's what Naomi is directing Ruth to do. Be very intentional about where you're at, who you hang out with, and who you're spending time with. The bottom line is this. When we experience true communion with the Savior and recognize all he has to offer us, we're intentional about staying as close to him as possible. So Naomi sees something. Naomi recognizes the benefits. Stay close to your Redeemer. I, I don't think she's properly identified him as the kinsman Redeemer just yet. But she says, we're on to something here. This guy wants to bless us. And I see what happened when you spent an entire day with him. You came home with something way more than we ever could have gotten anywhere else. So when it comes to God's grace, we always get more than we deserve, just like Ruth and Naomi. They got way more than what the law required. It was unexpected. It was natural for Ruth to share with her mother-in-law all that she had been blessed with. Her time there was obvious. It was obvious that something happened. She was in the right place at the right time. 
And then she became intentional about going back to that same place where she received that blessing at. So I think about the story of the Israelites in the desert. The manna would come along every day. God said, don't, don't pick up more than you need for just a day. Because if you do, it's going to rot. It's going to be stinking. It's going to be full of maggots. He said, I'm going to provide you with fresh bread each and every day. Teaching you to rely on, on me for what you need. So that's what we're seeing with the kinsman redeemer here. As Ruth and Naomi draw close to their redeemer, he's giving them exactly what they need day by day. And they're intentional about going back to that same place, same time, hanging out with the right people, and drawing closer to their kinsman redeemer. So Gordon McDonald had this to say about staying close to your Redeemer and being intentional about it. Satisfaction and contentment are marks of a man or woman of God. Combined with a hunger and thirst to know God and enjoy his creation, they create a healthy tension in the Christian life. Spiritual disciplines, quality time in God's word, Quality time in prayer. Sharing your faith with other people. What you've learned upon. Hey look, when, you, when God reveals something to you that you've never seen before, you get excited about it. You, you want to tell us, hey let me show you what God showed me in his word today. Let, let, me, let me reveal to you what, what he showed me in your word. It could benefit you, it could help you as well. Or when you get into those conversations with people, they're struggling with something. So let, let me, God just happened to show me something the other day. That relates to that. And I've seen it happen so many times, but you've got to be intentional about it. Just have a hymn of invitation. Can we get some piano music? Uh, I know it's, I don't know if she had one in the bulletin or not, but just have a little quiet time. Let's have a moment of silence right now uh, as Nancy gets ready to come and play a closing hymn of invitation. I don't know what's on your heart tonight. I don't, I don't know what God's doing uh, in your life. I don't know if there's some kind of commitment that you need to make. Uh, perhaps you haven't had a quiet time in a long time. But for just a few moments, I want you to think about it. What am I doing right now to be intentional in my relationship with the Lord? The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.